Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. And we are going to, uh, next few weeks, be finishing our study from Ephesians. And as we go to Ephesians, uh, let's have a word of prayer together and ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have uh, to come and worship. We thank you for the the special music we've shared in today and the congregational singing and the scripture, all part of our opportunity to worship you, to look toward you and look toward your face. And we thank you that indeed you are our living water. And Father, you have promised that we would never thirst if we come to you. And Lord, uh, we, we pray now as we open your word that we would understand your word, that your words would be heard. Again, we thank you for the freedom we have to worship, to study, and to share your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan this week for GMI board meetings, and uh, it was a short trip. I left, I got there Wednesday, came home last night, and meetings Thursday and Friday. And uh, in the airport in Grand Rapids, as I was leaving yesterday, uh, one of the things that I always do is uh, buy a Detroit Free Press. You all read the Detroit Free Press? No? Okay. It was like something I did when I was in college back there, and so it's just sort of a habit. So I buy a Detroit Free Press. And uh, it's not free, by the way. It costs a dollar. <laughs> but uh, on the front page of the Detroit Free Press, um, I had some time to kill there in the airport and reading it, there was an article about a, a group from uh, Michigan going to the reenactment of the Battle of Gettysburg. And uh, the Battle of Gettysburg uh, is being celebrated this year uh, 150 years ago. Uh, Cliff, I had said, just a reminder, um, how many of you have been to Gettysburg and seen that? Wow, look at that. Gee, about a third of you maybe. Um, I haven't. I'm going though. (laughs) Um, And uh, that uh, battle took place, of course, 150 years ago, and if you happen to notice in the airport at the magazine shops and bookstores and so on, or at the bookstores here, you'll see all over the place, commemorative magazines, special editions, and everything of this very important battle. In a congregation this size, there's a good chance that there are descendants, uh, probably from you, represented by you, who probably fought in that battle, uh, maybe on either, either side, north or south. Um, of course, it was a major, important uh, battle uh, that took place that really determined, uh, to, to some extent, the outcome of that war. Um, you go there today, and like any battlefield, it's uh, pretty peaceful. Um, it's uh, a lot of things to look at. It's a national park. There are monuments. And, um, and as you look at the, the places where you, you think of thousands Literally thousands of men. I think the numbers were in the 50,000 of killed, wounded, or missing from that one battle that died on these fields, uh, charging and, uh, and, and meeting their end. And, and the, the Battle of Gettysburg that uh, was so significant was really, thanks Cliff, was really a, a, a battle that was really a stand. I've been to Custer's Last Stand. How many of you have been there? Custer's Last Stand, okay. I've been there, and I've read a lot about that, and I've wandered the, the battlefield and so on. That wasn't really so much uh, a place where he was hoping to make his last stand, you know. 
Uh, in fact, if you go there and you stand there where the monument is, you realize this was not a very good place to, to make a last stand. And, of course, that wasn't, his, that wasn't his intent. His intent was to be on the attack, and he basically got stuck there and forced to make his stand there. Gettysburg uh, was a place where both the Union and Confederate Army generals realized that this was a significant piece of ground. And if it could be taken and held, and that battle uh, won there, that, uh, that it, would, it would be very significant. And it just so happened, you can read the history, um, and I encourage you to do it. You know, the, the movie Gettysburg is a really good movie. I, I recommend it. Um, there are parts of it that emphasize parts of the battle more than, you know, other places and so on. But, you know, the, the, the fact that the Union Army got there and they were able to establish their place to stand, and when General Lee uh, insisted that they're there and, and, and we're going we're gonna to do the battle here, that's where they are, and it was a place where the Union Army was able to stand eventually, after several days, to stand their ground in the face of a, of a tremendous onslaught and, and win the battle. And as you come to Ephesians chapter 6 today, it's interesting. And this, this particular, sorry about that, I'm not sure what I did here. This particular, um, this particular portion of Scripture is really built on a military metaphor. The Apostle Paul uses oftentimes military, athletic, farming uh, metaphors to describe the Christian life. In this particular case, we have a very significant military metaphor that is used that also expresses a spiritual reality. So let's read this section, and this is going to be a, a two-part uh, in, in the sense that this this section through... Uh, verse 18, chapter 6, and verses 10 through 18 are, of course, really one subject, and that is the armor of God and the spiritual battle. Today we're just going to cover the first part of it, and next Sunday we're going to look at, at the remainder of it. So let's look at this verse 10. Let's, let's read this section together. Well, not together. I'll read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at the particular pieces of military equipment that are suggested that they put on. But I would like to, this morning for us to look at this first portion uh, that we just read from verses 10 to 13. And I want you to notice, first of all, the Apostle Paul says, and this, as you read this section, I, I hope... You know, it occurs to you, and it's good for us to reread these sections to realize how important this is. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Now, when he starts listing the, the, the powers and the forces that we are fighting against, we realize how significant this is. I mean, this is very important. This is very real. This is not something that we just say, oh, well, this is just, uh, this is just a metaphor. This is just language that... You know, Paul's, you know, this is important. This is a reality. This is a metaphor used to express a reality, 
a spiritual war that is going on, that we are part of. And so when we begin this, Paul says in verse 10, and I want you to notice the word finally. Finally. And we could say maybe in conclusion. We've been studying the book of Ephesians together. And as we study the book of Ephesians and read it and look at it together, um, I think this is a wrap-up of the entire book. I don't think it's just a wrap-up of the previous section on, on, uh, on families and uh, children, parents, servants, and masters. I think in light of everything that's been taught in this book, and I want to remind you, when the church at Ephesus received this letter from the Apostle Paul, um, we have been looking at it for many weeks now, this sometime whenever we started this last winter, and I just want to remind you, as I've done on Sunday night as we studied Romans together, that, that we, you know, we have the, the luxury and the ability and, and we have the time to do this. They gathered in great anticipation because a letter from the Apostle Paul was coming to them. And when they gathered in their church, wherever it was, whether it was in a house at this time, where they had a hall they were renting, um, as they gathered for their, 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 their gathering and the letter came, they sat, I'm sure, in great anticipation while somebody stood up and read this letter in its entirety. They wouldn't have stopped at this verse and come back next week and we'll study this verse, you know, like I've asked for you for next week. They would have read the entire thing start to finish, probably many times, um, and, and went home and thought about it and came back and read it again. And as they read that letter and all that they read, and Paul says, finally, finally, be strong, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And, of course, the, the thought here that we want to keep in front of us is that, that the strength comes from God. The battle belongs to the Lord. We've sung about this this morning. That the strength and the power come from God. Paul doesn't say, finally, uh, put on, get, get in shape, be strong, draw on your own reserves. No, he says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Ultimately, it is God's power and God's strength that we draw on, that we have, a, that we have in us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Finally, be strong. And then he says, put on the full armor of God. And I want to just consider that for a minute, that he says to put on the, the penelope, the, the entire armor of God, not just this piece and that piece. Don't just grab a shield and not a sword. Don't grab a helmet and not a shield. Put on the full armor of God. And he is going to, and he is going to, um, he's really bugging me, this jacket. Sorry about that. But this keeps folding over on me, and I, I don't know what I did to it. But sorry, take it off, Joff, Joffrey Bean. Sorry about that. Some things bug me, and that was one of them. The jacket <laughs> I'm sure everything else is okay here. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay. I look good, Chris. <laughs> I look okay. All right, thanks. Okay. Where were we? Chapter 6, verse 10. So, put on the full armor of God. And it's interesting, the language that's used here, the, the language that's used here is the same language that we have, we have seen already in Ephesians of put on. Put on, clothe yourselves. Remember we saw that and you see that in Colossians 2? To put on the, 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 the attributes of godliness, the peace and the patience and the righteousness, all the things that God tells us, put them on. And this is the same word here, to clothe yourself, to put on the full armor of God. You know, the Apostle Paul writes this. We believe this is one of the prison epistles, which means it's one of the epistles that Paul wrote 
while he was under house arrest in Rome. At the end of the book of Acts, he is arrested in Caesarea, and he actually spends two years under Roman guard in Caesarea. Then he takes that that, that long trip uh, by boat, eventually arriving in Rome, where he spends two more years under arrest. Yes, it is house arrest, but he is still under arrest. So basically... The last couple chapters of Acts, the Apostle Paul is really under arrest for almost maybe maybe close to five years, four and a half years. And it's during this time, while he is in Rome, we believe, he wrote these prison epistles, these later epistles. And, and Paul, it, it appears and it seems clear, continued to receive revelation from God. God continued to reveal to him. This is why his writings are in our Bible, because they are Holy Scripture. They are, we believe, meet the criteria to be of, of an inspiration, the canon of Scripture, and they are in our Bible. And the Apostle Paul continued to receive revelation from God. And we've seen so many important things that he gave Paul for the church, the body of Christ, in this epistle. And while Paul is there, and while he's writing, and while he's, he's, he's receiving even revelation, he is always with a Roman soldier. There is never a time where they say, okay, Paul, we, you know, be a good boy now, don't leave, you know. There's always a Roman soldier. Some believe he was always chained to a Roman soldier. And so Paul had plenty of time to contemplate the Roman armor that a soldier wore. He had four and a half years to think about this, you know, under arrest and in very close proximity. I assume the Apostle Paul became probably pretty good friends with those soldiers, I, I assume that he, um, th- there were those who were converted. We know that Paul talks about those in Caesar's household that had come to know Christ. And, uh, but he sees these Roman soldiers, and he can contemplate these pieces. And as the Holy Spirit reveals this to him, he takes this and puts it into action in terms of, 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 of the Christian's spiritual warfare. Put on the full armor of God. And so next week... We're going to consider the specific pieces of armor. I just want to remind you that if you're not able to be here on any particular Sunday or you're visiting with us and you ever want to continue with our studies, you can go to our church webpage and there's a link there, a a link to our sermons uh, every week, no matter who's preaching, whether it's Gary, Kevin, or myself, or guest speaker, and uh, that link is on there and you can go to that and uh, listen listen to the message as well if if you want to follow up when you're not able to be here. So we will continue this next week. But for today, put on the full armor of God. And I want you the second thing I want you to notice. The reason for putting on the full armor of God, the reason for doing this, Paul says, put on the full, be the strongest power, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Against the, notice the word against each time, and that is in the, it's in the original language. If it's not in the original, your Bible will have italics when they supply a word, but when it's not in italics, it's in, we have the original, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Put on the full armor of God. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, the King James says, against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. And the word that's, the word that's used there in the Greek is methodius. Methodius. Does that sound familiar at all? What English word might come from methodius? Come on now, what is it? 
Method, yeah. I mean, a lot of our words come from the Greek and the Latin or Greek and Latin. And our word for method, against the method, against the schemes, against the wiles, against the way of Satan. And Paul says that we are to stand. Now, what's interesting about this, and this is, this is what I want you to take home with you today. I want you to take home with you today the idea and the picture of standing. The Battle of Gettysburg, the Union Army occupied the territory, occupied the high ground, which, of course, is very important, set up and took their stand. And it was touch and go, as we know from reading the history of that, that battle. It was touch and go. Uh, it was very, very close. But when all was said and done, they were able to, to stand and to hold that ground and change the course of the war. A book just came out recently, and of course there's been several like this, the, the battles that changed the world, something along that lines. And of course this is one of them. It changed history. They took their stand. And the Apostle Paul says, stand, withstand. In fact, several times in this passage, verse 11, verse 13, verse 14, stand, stand, stand against, hold your ground. What's interesting, I think, about that is that earlier in this, in, the apostle, in, the, in this epistle, we have seen the word walk. Now, I want you to notice this contrast. Walk, 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 but stand. Now, in, in the King James translation, or the older translation, and maybe some of the others, the word walk is there. It, it comes from, as we talked about, it's the peripateo. It's a Greek word that means to walk around. That's really what it means, to, to walk around. The implication is how you live, how you walk. Is, you know, we talk about the Christian walk, right? It's how you live. And so the NIV and the newer translations have changed it to live. But in the original language, I just I want to point out to you chapter 4 and verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, walk worthy is really the, 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 the literal. And, of course, that means live worthy. Walk worthy. Um, in verse uh, seven, 17, so I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, or it says in the NIV, to live. Chapter 5 and verse 1, the imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and, and walk, walk in a way, just as Christ did. In verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light. Walk is what it says, as children of light. And in chapter 5 and in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. But in the King James, in the original language, I like walk circumspectly, walk carefully. Be very careful how you walk. So we have in it throughout the epistle, walk in the Lord. Walk, walk, walk. And we come to chapter 6, finally, brothers, stand. And I think they would have caught this, 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 um, a relationship between these. Stand. Take your stand. As you walk in the Lord, there is a place also to stand. And we are to stand against the methods, the wiles of diabolos. In the Bible, we find several words for Satan. Ha-Satan in the Hebrew means the adversary. Ha-Satan, the adversary. In the New Testament, we, we see some different words, and one of these is Diabolos. Diabolos. And the, the word diabolos has the idea of someone who slanders. Um, you know, if someone sues for slander because somebody slandered them. 
The word, it means slander. It means the idea of wily, their wiles, their, their tricks. And Paul says, listen, we need to take our stand against the slanders and the tricks and the schemes, we might say, of the devil, of his, of his methods. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Because, you know, when, when we think about this spiritual warfare and we think about this, this, uh, this garb of, or, or armaments of a Roman soldier, a lot of times, you know, we, we, our mind right away goes to a frontal assault, like Pickett's Charge, right? If you know anything about Gettysburg, you've got Pickett's Charge, which was a massive frontal assault against the high ground that almost was successful, but not enough. Pickett's Charge. And, of course, that's what many people remember about Gettysburg. But if you read the, the, the story of Gettysburg, and in fact, there's a new book out right now. I'm actually reading it. Um, I bought it at Costco, Gary, but I'm not taking it back, though. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't talk about where I buy my stuff here. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a new book, and, it's, and, and it really goes into the history of it. And you find in the Battle of Gettysburg, yes, Pickett's Charge got a lot of press. But, you know, that battle, like all major battles, like all major battles, um, there was espionage. There was, you know, spying. There were uh, tricks. There were, uh, um, uh, you know, flanking attacks. There were probes. There were, you know, there were all sorts of, to that, like any military battle, very seldom is it just one frontal assault. That's all there is. And while that, that comes to our mind, the frontal assault, when we think about Satan and think about his, his tricks, his methods, think about how you've encountered in your life in our lives, in our culture, in our world. Think about the history in the Bible. Satan's attacks and methods are not always, and maybe not even as often, full-out frontal assaults. There are places today, you know, when, uh, when Dave and Gretchen were in Nigeria and I, and, I, and, and, and I followed the news of what was going on because, you know, they are missionaries and, and uh, we were praying and supporting them and, and, the, and what's going on in Nigeria. And even today, as you read about it still, Places like Nigeria in the north, there are flat-out frontal assaults against Christians where churches are burned and attacked and people killed. Sometimes in the news we read about, you know, conflict between the Christians and the Muslims, and it's just flat-out attack and destruction. And that happens in many places in the world today. And we know that's going on. And our, and our brothers and sisters and the voice of the martyrs, they keep us surprised of these things. We know that's going on. But oftentimes his... His, his methods, think in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, did, did Satan come to Eve and say, well, Eve, um, you know, if, if you do this, you know, here's what's going to happen, all these terrible things, you know, you're going to lose your relationship with God, you're going to die spiritually. No, it was, did God really say, are you sure that's what he said? Are you sure he said that? Isn't it that he's afraid you're going to have knowledge like him and 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 he and he and it says that he he tricked at Eve, and then it went to Adam and and, and that's the whole narrative studies of why he ate, and and they were they, there was deception, and he was there was deception, and you look throughout the scriptures, what did what did Satan do when when he tempted the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, does not does not 
is this what you, I will give you all this if you will bow down and worship me? Didn't it say, doesn't the Bible say that he will, he will take care of you and you will not dash your foot against a stone? It's even with the Lord Jesus Christ, he tried deception. His methods were trickery. It was wily. And the Lord encountered each time with a quote from Scripture to, to stop the attack. The attack was so, so severe and so powerful and strong that it says the angels came and ministered to the Lord during that time and afterward. And the Apostle Paul says, stand against his attacks. And listen, friends, like Satan works throughout Scripture, when it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, our battle is not against just flesh and blood. The NIV says our struggle the Roman soldier was outfitted and, and, and oftentimes his battle took place in, in wrestling and struggling one-on-one. And Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against these spiritual forces. And I just want to remind you as you consider this today, that, that Satan's, Satan's methods are very deceptive, but they are just as real and oftentimes more effective than a flat-out frontal assault that comes against you. Take your stand. Take your stand. Take your stand. You know, it's interesting here that also, as you look at this, this is kind of a little bit of a conundrum here to me. When Paul says here, our struggle, verse 12, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, in the heavenlies. That the spiritual battle that we are involved in, this is serious. This, this is serious material here for the Christian. It's, it has to do with the spiritual forces in the heavenlies. Now, if you think for a moment, if you've been, if, if you, we've been going through this book together this was a theme throughout the book of Ephesians. Let's just look real quickly. Go back to chapter 1 where we started this in chapter 3. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I learned it, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. So we started this study with, a, with an acknowledgement that you and I have received spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, the Apostle Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. In a sense, and I know this is difficult for us to really grasp onto, but, but as the Bible says, we are seated already in the heavenlies, but we are active here on earth. It would be as if I were traveling overseas and, and, and say I, was, I, I located another country and I'm located there, but I'm a citizen of the United States of America. That doesn't change that fact. Paul says we are citizens of heaven. We are located here. We are already blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Chapter 1 and verse 20. In chapter 1 and verse 20. The power of God that he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. In the heavenlies. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse, and, and verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We are seated right now as you sit here in Shoreline on First Avenue and Northeast and 108th Street. 
You are seated in the heavenlies. That's where you are. Chapter 3 and verse 10. That, that his intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies. God's wisdom and power made evident to all the authorities in the heavenlies. And we come to chapter 6, that, that our struggle is against these evil forces in the heavenlies. And isn't this interesting? That there's something, and I've been thinking about this, and I'm going to study this some more and, and do a little more work on this and see what some other people have come to conclusion. I'm going to look, this is kind of a new thought for me, what this means. Is it possible that it's because we are already seated in the heavenlies and we have received all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies? Is it that very fact that that brings this truth to pass, that therefore... We are at war with the spiritual forces in the heavenlies. Is that possible? If I were not seated in the heavenlies, if I were not blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, would Satan even care? But it's because that's where my location is, and also that's where their location is somehow in the heavenlies, that we are engaged in that spiritual cosmic battle, if you will, between God and Satan. Remember the story of Job? Job came before God with the other angels in the heavenlies and talked to God and addressed him. And God said, where have you been? What have you been doing? And so there's something about this spiritual element in the heavenlies, this reality that I am now part of and you are part of that also has made us part of this spiritual warfare that Paul says, take your stand. Take your stand. Because this is where the battle is. It takes place here on earth, but it's really a battle that, that originates from the heavenlies. This is powerful stuff. This is not to be taken lightly. These are important scriptures. And then maybe this, is it because of this, when we become a Christian, the reason that, and we don't promise people this, that when you become a believer, if you only become a believer, we don't teach this at our church, that, that if you really have faith, you know, life is going to be all bliss. You're going to be wealthy. You're never going to be sick. You're going to have all the good. No, we, we don't teach that. What we teach is we now have the power of God and we have, and we have the, the availability of the armor. We have peace like a river, as was sung to us today. We can have peace amidst the battle. But the reason that in your life there's conflicts, and some of you know very well about that right now, there are challenges, there are difficulties, there are discouragements, there are battles, there are habits, there are temptations. Why does sin bother you? Why do we struggle with it? Because listen, friends, when we became part of, those, of that heavenly citizenship, we also became part of that battle. That's where our battle is. And we have peace like a river. That was a beautiful song. Thank you guys for singing that. Peace like a river, joy like a fountain in the midst of Pickett's Charge and Devil's Den and Little Round Top and everything else that went with the battle. Stand your ground, finally. Conclude with this. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, stand your ground. Do you notice in this passage we are never told to attack the devil. God has not called you and me to destroy Satan. 
He's already done that at the cross at Calvary. It's already been put on display. God has not called me to attack the devil. God has called us to stand our ground and to withstand our ground. All the weapons that we're going to look at, except one, are defensive weapons that God has given us. And I want to suggest this to you. This might be something new for you to think about too, but I would like you to think about this. I've been thinking about this. Um, had, some, had some time on the airplane from Chicago to Seattle last night to think about this um, while that plane was shaking. You know, thanks for building those 737, some of you. That, you know, they can shake this way and they can shake that way, and it doesn't seem to bother anybody, but, you know, and amazing planes. And uh, we got home. And I was thinking about this and reading this and making some more notes. And I just wanted to remind you, as, I, as I'm reminded myself, from our culture, you know, we're so individualistic. I'm not making a positive or negative. That's just, that's just part of our culture. And so we tend to look at everything individualistic. And our first, our first default when we look at this passage, and Paul says to put on the armor of God, and we'll look at those pieces, my first default is to kind of look at this me. The shield, the sword, the shoes, the helmet. I'm thinking of a soldier. I'm thinking of me putting on that armor. But I also want you to remember, this is an epistle to a church. This is an epistle to the Ephesians. And Paul, we begin this finally... Finally, you know, brothers, be strong as a, as a congregation. And I want to suggest to you, as much as it is to individuals, it's just as much to the church collectively. The church at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus has been given some ground to, to protect and to hold. God has made an inroad into this pagan city where they worship Artemis. Where they, where they worshiped all sorts of gods. He has, he has made an inroad and secured the ground. And there is a church there against all odds. What are the odds that church could have ever survived after it was founded and Paul left? But it did. And it grew and it flourished. And throughout the world, these churches were established. And they were given a, they were given a piece of ground to hold and protect, not to build a fortress, not to build a compound and to hide behind, but to protect it. And then as it moved out and more churches were built and a church spread, each place becomes a new battleground and a place to hold their ground. It's interesting today. You go back to that part of the world today and those churches aren't there. They all disappeared. We've been given a piece of ground to hold and protect here. And to share the gospel. Those of you who have other home churches, wherever your home church is, you have been given a piece of ground. Yes, physically, but spiritually as well. A faith community that is to stand against Satan's attacks. Satan's attacks are not against our building. He's, he's not attacking our building. He's not going to destroy physically our building. But his attacks will be against us as a church. And they will be deceptive. They will be probing they will be espionage. They will be side attacks and flanks. And there will be full-on frontal attacks. And we as a church, and every church that is, that is truly part of, of the body of Christ and the true church of God, 
we have to stand together against the wiles and methods of the devil. Because there's nothing he would like more to see God's name dishonored by destroying this work and dividing this work and any other evangelical Christian church in our community. And we are to stand together, friends. And I'd like you to think about this as we, as we continue this next week. As a faith community, as members and participants in a faith community, that you have a responsibility, you have a role. Yes, obedience is a, is a Pauline biblical word. <laughs> to be obedient to Scripture. And is this possibly why, as we looked earlier in, in, these, in these passages, and in chapter 4, and I, and I conclude with this, and our, we're going to sing a song, and our special guests are going to come and, and share in their song, but let me just remind you, when we looked at chapter 4, and Paul talked about the gifts given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, verse 12 of chapter 4, to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, now compare this next verse to chapter 6. Stand. That we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming, but instead speak the truth. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head. Look at the contrast between a church that is floundering with every new wind of doctrine, every new fad, every new teaching, every new cultural you know, thing that's going on that, that is okay to, to, if it fits in with the bigger picture of what is truth, that we are not to be in our families, in our lives, in our children, in our young people. We are not to be battered back and forth and falling up and down by all this craftiness, but we are to stand firm. We are to teach God's Word. We are to live God's Word. We are to grow up and become adults and to be mature. Sons and daughters of the living God who can stand firm. And as a church, as we do this, Satan is not going to leave. Satan is not going to quit attacking. Satan is not going to leave you alone. But as we grow together, and as you grow in your walk with him, and you fellowship, and you serve alongside others, as Kevin shared yesterday about what they did yesterday, as we do these things and grow together, we can take our stand against the wiles of the devil. It can be done. And God wants us to do it. Let's close our service. We're going to continue this next week. We're going to have a closing song. We're going to sing together. I lift my eyes up. And I'm going to close in prayer. And then Straighter Road is going to come and sing to us, I saw the light. Straight a road. Did you take that name from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? The Lord will make your path straight. Took it from his song. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Good Good title. Good name. Is this, is this, is this the scripture here? 3, 5, and 6. Is this the first time you guys have, have sung together? In public? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.
I think when the psalmist wrote that song, my own personal opinion is that what that means, I lift up my eyes to the hills, to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And I think, I think what the psalmist is saying is not that I look to the hills and my help comes from the hills, but as he looked up at the hills in the old world, that is where all the idols, the pagan altars were. They always built them on the high places. You see that throughout the Old Testament, don't you? Called the high places. And the psalmist looked up to the hills and I think he saw the pagan altars and says, but where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Your help comes from the Lord. If you're here today and you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, your help can come from the Lord because God loves you. He loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for your sins, offers you eternal life and forgiveness for sins. We don't offer you bliss and karma on this earth. We offer you the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ who will help you and enable you to live a life pleasing to God and live a life of joy and peace like a river in the midst of the battle. And I invite you, receive Christ as your Savior. Heavenly Father, we love you so much today. Father, you've been so good to us. Even this past week, we look back on our lives and think of how you've provided, you've cared, protected us, and we don't even, we don't even know about it. Lord, we just thank you so much. And Father, I thank you that you love every person here today. And Father, if there be a person here today who has never received Christ as their Savior, that they would open their heart to the Gospel and acknowledge their need as, as Satan deceived in the garden. And sin was brought in the world. And from sin came death, spiritual death as well, most importantly. And you offer today spiritual life and forgiveness for sins. Let there be one person today open their heart and receive Christ as their Savior. In His wonderful, wonderful name, all God's people can say it together. Amen.